Welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yatanis, co-producer of this podcast. And today's topic is the science of sleep. Most of us think of sleep as a time to wind down, relax, and to recharge for the next day. But Colleen is here to share that, in theory, is correct. But in fact, this is also where our brains start working. Join us today as we explore the science of sleep. Yes, Nico, our brains actually wake up in sleep, so to speak, but in a very different way than during the day or what we would call wakeful hours for some, depending on their sleep schedules. As Restore Body Balance combines the psychology of the mind, the biology of the body, and the neurology of the brain, let's dive into what is actually happening when we go to sleep. So our quality of sleep provides better concentration for the next day, helps with mental sharpness and memory, increases our fat burning systems, protects us from disease, not to mention rebuilding our immune systems and we are less prone to depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. And that's just to name a few of the benefits of getting a restful night's sleep. I recently read that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention actually considers not getting enough sleep to be a public health problem. I know for me, I need eight hours of sleep to feel my best. And as I tend to be alert at night, I definitely am a night owl, It's important for me to get sufficient sleep and plan for a later start of my day. I know in college I undervalued the power of a good night's sleep, but these days I definitely see the benefits if I can get a good 7-8 to hours of condensed sleep. Not to mention in college, the routine. Some days when I had a a 9am, I felt like I got hit by a bus, but now that I'm graduated, I have more of a consistent sleep schedule, which feels a lot better. Well, you bring up a good point, Nico. It's really best to find the rhythm of our natural sleep-wake schedules. I was always a night owl myself, but now I tend to be an early bird, as they say. I love waking up around 5.36 because it's quiet time for me to relax, slowly start my day, have a cup of tea or coffee. Now, that's not to say I'm a morning person. I'm certainly not running around and chipper, but I have trained my body to naturally wake up at this time. Sometimes it's a little frustrating as I tend to wake up early on the weekends as well, and I need to adjust if I'm up later on a Friday or Saturday night. I feel what uh, your generation calls FOMO, fear of missing out, when I go to bed at 9.30 or 10 on a weekend night, but I literally cannot stay awake, and that's where sleep training comes in. I've heard of this, and the term sleep hygiene. Can you say more? Sure. If you think about it, sleep hygiene is just like other areas of hygiene. Take oral hygiene, for example. Hopefully, most of us are brushing and flossing our teeth a few times a day. And let's face it, each time we have our teeth cleaned at the dentist and we feel that scraping, 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 
we think to ourselves, or at least I do, I really dislike this and I'm really gonna start flossing. But as a great many of us do, we quickly fall out of that habit until our next cleaning. So again, we see the power of the neurology of the brain that wants to habituate these habits. That's why we're doing this science series. It's not easy, but over time, the body will acclimate and just do it for you. So again, when I ask my clients to use a toothbrush to actually create a little mindfulness moment, every time they brush each tooth, upper and lower, inside and out, they'll find that their brain flies off and then we just go back to center. And in order for them to do that, I gift them a new toothbrush. As a matter of fact, it's one of the very cool ones that uh, are called Quip because they see it and all of a sudden it reminds them, oh, I need to brush my teeth mindfully. So it's really the same thing with sleep. We need to do that cued Pavlovian response. And we also see with our current researchers right here in our very neighborhood of Harvard University and also the sleep studies that happen at Boston's Children's Hospital, which actually has a a world-class sleep lab. I know this because one of my children went there and we literally had to sleep train our son. Wow, that sounds interesting. What did it involve? Well, it's not as bad as it seems. It involved creating regular bedtimes and wake times and actually no napping, which was very, very hard. As a caregiver or parent, you know what happens when you can't get that little nap in so that the child feels rested and you might be able to shower or have a bite to eat. But according to the doctor that we saw over at Children's Hospital here in Boston, You know, he claimed that each person is born with a set amount of sleep that's required for growth. And my son was getting what he needed, just not in long stretches. So I had to record all of his sleep and eating, and literally with a pencil, I would shade in across a bar graph when he slept, and putting an arrow when he went up and an arrow when he went down not allowing any cat naps, as they say. And during those times, just going for a stimulating walk in the stroller to a local park or a play date with a friend. And you could actually see that we had like small bars of of shade to eventually long stretches of shade at time when he was able to finally get seven to eight hours of consolidated sleep. We also have to keep a dark, cool room and rituals like a warm bath, a bedtime story and lullaby. And before we knew it, he was sleeping like a baby. Whereas my daughter can't get enough sleep. So there is a genetic component as well, but that's for another podcast, Nico. So can you tell us more on the science of sleep? I sure can. So think about it. As we moved across the plains and settled America, we got up and worked the land in daylight and went to bed at dusk or dark. And we used candles that emitted a low level of lumen. Candles were also scarce, so we only use them for essential times. We can also see where melatonin comes in here. It's apparently released when the sun goes down. Something's triggered in our brain. But these days, we are up with all kinds of light from computer screens, phones, and the beloved TV, all emitting light that keeps us awake and stimulated, which is why so many of us have been taking supplemental melatonin and sleep aids. 
Sleep is the single most effective thing one can do for one's body and brain. Under the right conditions, the brain produces a signal to tell the body all of their essential systems, like the heart, lungs, digestive, and nervous systems, that it's time to rest and shut down for the day. See, during the day, Nico, the body is focused on getting things done and is not really paying attention to taking care of itself. So, during sleep or rest, the cells repair and we hopefully emit more helpful proteins to flush out cytokines from the brainstem, which are produced during times of stress. Really, we are literally flushing out waste during restorative sleep. We also repair and rebuild our bones, our skin rejuvenates, our muscles recover, and they repair. We also compartmentalize our day in our brain. As we've said in our last podcast, we cannot remember every minute of every day. We simply do not have enough hard drive, as they say. So the brain figures out what to remember and what is not needed for survival. It's like the analogy you said a few weeks ago with Steve Jobs and the turtleneck, the autonomy of certain everyday tasks. And that's also why in your book, Prescription for Change, you ask your readers to bookend their day, being mindful or meditating to get into the parasympathetic nervous system. Yes, Nico, and remember, that's also rest and restore, rest and relax, rest and digest, and rest and reproduce. In rest and restore, aka sleep, our bodies and brains actually become quite active. The brain runs checks on itself to make sure there is an appropriate balance of hormones, proteins, and enzymes. Again, we get rid of waste and toxins so they don't build up in the body and brain. Our mitre motor muscle also does a big clean sweep of the digestive tract. Literally, little villa sweep waste away. Not to mention adequate sleep with our moods. That really helps with those suffering from depression or anxiety. Actually, those folks become more symptomatic the next day without restorative sleep. And we use energy during the day. And that energy creates waste. And immune cells like macrophages eat up the waste. And some wash it through the lymphatic system, or aka the largest drainage system or drainage pipes in the body. So you can see a lot happens when we are so-called asleep. I never knew I was so busy when I slept. What about terms like REM sleep or deep sleep? Can you say more about those? Sure. The first stages of sleep are called non-REM. REM stands for rapid eye movement. And here we see the firing of glial cells and they kick into action. Glia is Greek for glue. And we used to think that they just held neurons in place. These are non-neuronal cells that do not produce electrical impulses. But now we know they maintain homeostasis of many functions of the body, especially during sleep, where they perform their jobs in a more organized fashion. Glial cells, which essentially turn into a massive pump when the body sleeps, they get rid of the waste. 
And as such, their repetitive movement sort of sings the nerves to sleep. In the next stage of REM, rapid eye movement, the firing is almost not there. And we go in and out of these stages each hour and a half or so. And if we're not getting enough solid restorative sleep, let's just say our garbage disposal is not working and the waste is building up. This is a burgeoning area of research with Alzheimer's and dementia. I can't believe that. We sure are getting to the science of sleep today with REM. So we covered the biology and neurology of the brain, in short, but what about the psychological end of things? Yes, mental health and sleep, Nico. Let's refer back to that analogy with young children who don't get enough sleep. And again, any caregiver, parent or sibling that experienced a child that missed a nap or was up late, whoa, what a cranky mess, right? The child basically is unable to self-regulate. So the same thing happens with us. We need that rest and restore to feel good, energized for the next day, and able to take on the next day's task. If we are overtired and exhausted, we don't retain memories, learning is difficult, and yes, our mood suffers. And remember that phrase that I talk about every week. There's that part of the brain that says, I don't feel good, make it better. And when we're tired and cranky, we're reaching for stimulants like caffeine or sugar for quick fixes. And that too alters our mood. At night, in restorative sleep, we look at the day's events and we look at collective memories and emotions that are associated with them. If we can file away a memory properly, we can actually strip it of some of the emotions like anger, grief, or even some pleasure, especially in the form of chocolate cake. That might not be such a good thing. I read it once, we sleep to remember and we sleep to forget. Now, you can still recall memories, but perhaps separate the emotional part, so you can still recall an experience without reliving it. That's really important, especially from a mental health standpoint. If we are constantly reliving the memory and the emotions associated with them, we call them associative somatic memories, You know, all those issues are living in our tissues, as they say, which is why sleep is so important to compartmentalize. And believe it or not, where people use acupuncture and acupressure or yoga to relieve that tension and relieve that caught up energy in the body. But when we compartmentalize and sleep, we can shed some of those associative memories and emotions. And this goes a long way with post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety. Remember, the brain remembers that excitable good and the excitable bad. Remember the good to find more and relive it, the good, and the bad not to experience it again. But this only happens not only with restorative sleep, but consistent sleep too. It's truly hard to, quote, catch up on sleep, if you can at all. Yeah, that is a great point. Even after traveling, especially catching up on sleep, dealing with different time zones before quarantine, of course, could be a challenge for some. This is why in your program and in your book, you once again include bringing in gratitude or abundance both day and night to antidote stress and download the good before bed and not the bad. And our listeners can hear more about stress in previous podcasts and our YouTube channel. Exactly, Nico. 
Any closing remarks on the science of sleep, Colleen? Sure, I could talk for a long time on the science of sleep, but we're doing the sleep series just to give our listeners a bit of information in short segments. So feel free to reach out to me, or like you said, previous podcasts or the YouTube channel to hear more. But to sum up what we talked about today, when the day is done, let's have it be done. Not reliving the moments in a negative state is really key. We're also having to limit our caffeine. They generally say anything after two or three in the, in the afternoon will keep us up. And especially sleeping in a dark, cool room. And I know it's so hard, but please try to put those devices away really hours before bed and try the blue light lenses if you're watching TV. And of course, doing a little mindfulness and meditation will definitely add a lot of bang for your buck when you can go to sleep in that parasympathetic nervous system of rest and restore. And it's truly rituals like these that not only help us psychologically, biologically, and as we've seen neurologically, to function optimally as human beings. These are all great points, and I I think I've broken a lot of these rules before bed. I have caffeine after 3 p.m. I do sleep in a dark, cool room, so that's good, but the devices are all around me constantly. But something that I do do well is I always turn on night shift before I go to bed, so it does filter out that blue light. So that is a great thing that you can adapt to also if you're listening. I'll repeat what you said earlier. We sleep to remember and we sleep to forget. It's the idea of tomorrow is a brand new day. And I think that that is such an important aspect of sleep. We do sleep to remember where the next day we won't have brain fog and we'll just be on top of our game. But we'll also sleep to forget the previous day, forget all of the worries of that day. So sleep is so crucial and we've learned so much today. So thank you, Colleen. The science of it is really fascinating and the emerging studies all support the importance of sleep. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. To read the book on change and hear more about our programs, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. And if you want to hear more from us, you can click the subscribe button.